Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, M.D. Well, welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. This is a show designed to inform and inspire you to a greater health. I am your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, MD, and as always, it is my pleasure spending 30 minutes with you on a Sunday evening. These broadcasts are archived and are available for downloads at any time. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Dr. Diane Thompson. I also want to remind our listeners that uh, any changes they want to make uh, regarding their health from any of the information you get from any of these shows, you really should discuss with your healthcare provider before doing so. And tonight, we will be talking about diabetes. Now, diabetes refers to a group of diseases that affect how your body uses glucose, and we know that diabetes is on the rise. In fact, the CDC says that between 1990 and 2010, the number of new cases of diabetes has tripled. And diabetes is associated with many complications, complications such as blindness, kidney disease, nerve disease, cardiovascular disease, complications of pregnancy, as well as infection. And we know, for example, that amputation is one of those devastating complications of diabetes. This evening, we are going to tackle the subject of diabetes. We will learn all about the disease and how best to keep yourself healthy. I remember my mantra this year is that your health is your wealth. And my guest today is actually someone I know personally. When I was a medical student at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, she was one of my attending. And I, I remember learning so much from her, and I also remember sitting with her as I was making my final career decisions. And she was very insightful. Uh, Dr. Nanette Steinle is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Maryland Center for Diabetes and Endocrinology and is the interim chief in the endocrine and diabetes section at the Baltimore Veterans Administration Medical Center. She is board certified in internal medicine, endocrinology, and metabolism. She completed her undergraduate training in nutrition prior to completing her medical degree and one of her passion is diabetes and diabetes prevention. And, of course, that's why we have her on the show this evening. Dr. Steinle, welcome to Health Talk. Thank you, Diane. It's a pleasure to be here with you and with your listeners. Now, uh, we, we're going to jump right in because we have so much wonderful information to share. So my first question to you, and I'm going to start really basic, um, is just define for us diabetes and compare it to things like, as the patients will say, I'm told I'm pre-diabetic and I don't know what that means. So define for us diabetes and how does it compare to someone who's pre-diabetic or has impaired fasting glucose? Uh, one of the first things that we want our listeners to understand is that in general, when doctors talk about diabetes, there are two broad types. And type 1 diabetes typically occurs in children, although it may occur in adults as well. And that happens when the beta cells of the pancreas fail to produce adequate insulin 
insulin is a hormone that allows blood sugars that comes from food to be taken up into the cells and to be used for energy. Type 2 diabetes, on the other hand, typically occurs in adulthood. However, more and more children are becoming affected by type 2 diabetes. And this is a situation where the beta cells of the pancreas are able to produce adequate insulin, but because of high blood sugar, the body must produce excess amount of of insulin, and the cells become what we say resistant to the action of insulin. And so the beta cells produce more and more insulin to try to bring the sugar down, and eventually the beta cells fail and the blood sugar begins to rise. And it's when we when I speak tonight about diabetes, I'm really referring more to type two diabetes, which initially involves insulin resistance and then over time the development of higher blood sugar levels. And so uh, would you say that type 2 diabetes is preventable? Is it preventable? There was a very large study that took place a little over 10 years ago that was aimed at addressing that very question. It was a large prospective trial involving over 3,000 individuals at many centers throughout the nation. And what the participants in this study were asked to do was to eat a healthy diet, low fat and low calorie, with the idea of losing modest body weight and to engage in physical activity at least 30 minutes most days of the week. And in this particular study, the individuals came in, they received intensive lifestyle guidance from a personal health coach. And over time, it was understood that the people who were successful with the intensive lifestyle program, were able to reduce progression to diabetes, and the, re- the risk reduction was about 60%. And uh, that was really a phenomenal outcome. The study was originally designed to take place over five years, and because the results were so overwhelming in the favor of diabetes prevention, the study was stopped early. Um, So, yes, we can delay or prevent the onset of type 2 diabetes with a healthy diet and physical activity. What about people that seem to be genetically um, predisposed to this? They have multiple family members with type 2 diabetes. uh, They're at high risk because of this genetics. Um, How does prevention work for these people who are genetically at risk? The good news is, and I'm going to cite the evidence from the same diabetes prevention uh, project that I just mentioned. What investigators did to answer that question, they collected the blood samples from the individuals who participated in the diabetes prevention trial and extracted the DNA. And there are a number of genes that have been shown to confer genetic risk for the development of diabetes. And one is more common than some of the others. And that particular gene, which is in a transcription factor, uh, was genotyped in all the participants that took place in the DPP. And the study showed, again, that even those who were 
um, at more at risk from a genetic point of view, meaning they were carriers of the at-risk genotype, they were still able to overcome that genetic risk, if you will, and um, have benefit from the diet and, and exercise program. Okay, so a healthier lifestyle, proper diet and exercise seems to be the way to go to help prevent or delay many of these patients, even the ones who are genetically at risk. That's right, and I think that's good news for all of us. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I see patients very commonly in, in my practice, and, you know, many of them, when I ask them, you know, if you had known that diabetes was preventable, do you think it would have made a difference? And they look at me and say, oh, certainly, I wish I had known. Um, they say, you know, I watch my siblings, I watch my parents, my cousins all, you know, end up on the diabetes road, and if I had known... If, you know, there were steps that I could take, I certainly would, you know, rather be proactive rather than end up with diabetes. So I think it's an important message that uh, needs to be in the general public to know that diabetes doesn't necessarily have to be an inevitable outcome because it's running type 2 again. I'm talking about type 2 mm-hmm. diabetes um, because it's common in families. Now, we talked a little bit about this before, but can we talk more about the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? There are a number of risk factors. We did talk about some of them, family history being one of them. Uh, Certain ethnic groups tend to be uh, at higher risk, including African Americans, Asian uh, people from the um, Hispanic uh, areas as well. Uh, Folks who are overweight are more at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. Women who have given birth to a baby who is uh, greater than 9 pounds in weight are also at risk. If a woman had gestational diabetes during pregnancy, she's more at risk for developing type 2 diabetes later on. And new evidence shows smoking increases the risk for type 2 diabetes. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. Another reason to stop smoking, or if you don't smoke, don't start. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the diet. Um, what are some of the factors in the diet that seem to contribute most to diabetes risk? The things in the, in the diet that appear to be most detrimental when we think about increasing risk for diabetes uh, have to do with energy balance. So, you know, I mentioned that being overweight or obese is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. So those, simply taking in more food, more energy than one spends on a daily basis increases the risk uh, for type 2 diabetes. The other thing that is very interesting that's emerging has to do with the intake of saturated fat. And in the diabetes prevention trial, the participants were advised to reduce their saturated fat intake. And we know that from molecular studies looking at what happens inside the cell, when saturated fats are in the cell, they upregulate molecules that inhibit insulin signaling. And on the flip side of that coin, the polyunsaturated fatty acids seem to help promote insulin signaling. And I mentioned this idea of insulin resistance. Well, insulin resistance is a state where 
the signal when insulin attaches to its receptor on the cell is is inhibited, and saturated fats tend to inhibit that signaling, which is one of the factors that leads to type 2 diabetes. So I think there's more and more evidence suggesting that a uh, the low saturated fat diet is probably uh, beneficial in terms of allaying risk for type 2 diabetes. So you mentioned a low uh, saturated diet. Is there anything else in the diet that uh, is helpful in preventing? Some studies also would suggest that a high fiber complex carbohydrates are more beneficial. They tend to be more slowly absorbed, and therefore, uh, after we eat, uh, the blood sugar normally rises, but when we choose complex carbohydrate-containing foods, and some examples would be whole grains, lentils, dry beans and peas, for example, black beans, pinto beans, uh, when we choose those types of foods versus simple carbohydrates, for example, white rice, flat, white flour foods, due to the reduced rapidity of absorption, it, it appears that those foods may help regulate glucose metabolism in a beneficial way as well. Dr. Diane A. Thompson is an author, a dynamic speaker, and a workshop leader. If you would like to hire her to speak at your event, please visit www. DrDianeThompson.com. Also, sign up for updates and for her free ebook on stress at www.drDianeThompson.com. That's www.drDianeThompson.com. One question that I sometimes get asked: A good friend of mine was recently diagnosed with diabetes, and she would say to me, "You know, um, I am hungry all the time, and then when I eat, the blood sugar goes up." And so she was looking at types of food that could probably make her less hungry, but at the same time wouldn't cause her blood sugar to increase so much. Do you have any suggestions? Again, those foods typically would be the uh, high-fiber, complex, carb-type foods. Um, They tend to uh, stay in the stomach longer, and they tend to absorb water in the GI tract, and helping the stomach and the GI content uh, send satiety uh, signals. Uh, So some of those things are helpful. There is some evidence that fat plays a role in in satiety. So therefore, you know, some fat in the diet, if it's, again, monosaturated, polyunsaturated fat, may have a role in helping promote satiety. I often, you know, suggest to my patients that we we don't understand a lot about the hunger signals and and when and why they come, but I think some of it may be conditioned. And if we tend to, you know, eat what we need when we need it rather than eating strictly for uh, what I call entertainment, that's likely to help as well. We call it, you know, mindful eating or mindfulness and to really think about what it is that you're taking into your body. Does your body really need this, you know, particular food item? Is this going to help achieve your goal of of being healthy uh, versus, you know, is it something that I want or something that I like? Uh, One of the things that I'm beginning to study is whether or not food preferences, the things that we like, change over time, especially with weight loss. And I will say that anecdotally, 
uh, patients will tell me, you know, I used to really like, uh, you know, lemonade, and, and now it's too sweet for me. You know, they'll name a specific food. I used to like brownies, and now they're too sweet for me. I used to like, you know, certain things. So I think um, conditioning and training our food habits, just like we would condition and train our muscles, is another important skill to, to consider. And, and I definitely think it's doable. I, I know, for example, I stopped um, eating salty foods a long time ago, and now when someone will give me food with even a little bit of salt, it just, I, I can't really eat it. So you're right, we can train ourselves to start eating a certain way. It takes some willpower, but, but it's definitely doable, and it's, it's better for our health. Now, yeah. uh, let me change gears a little bit. I know, for example, uh, this is Heart Month, so I have to uh, address the heart. Uh, is there a connection between diabetes and heart disease? There is a strong connection between diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, and heart disease. And unfortunately, for people with diabetes, they're at a much higher risk for developing coronary artery disease and cerebrovascular disease, so heart attacks and strokes. And although we know epidemiologically that that relationship exists, from a biochemical point of view, we haven't really understood well what it is about the diabetes state that brings about this the increase in risk. And this is really a, a very necessary thing for us to understand, uh, you know, as a scientific community and much uh, time and resources is being devoted to, to really trying to understand what it is about diabetes that causes the increased risk in uh, cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease. And as such, we really try to be aggressive about reducing other risk factors, for example, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, in people with diabetes in order to reduce the chances of having a heart attack or a stroke. Okay. Now, um, I've heard about uh, Diabetes Prevention Program. Can you tell us a little bit about what's involved with that and where can someone find this type of program? Well, the good news is that there are many communities that are starting to engage in health programs, including the Diabetes uh, Prevention uh, Program. Your listeners can uh, go to the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and on their website, they list all of the sites that have been approved with official programs, meaning the the curriculum of their diabetes prevention program is uh, has fidelity to the original uh, study. And typically, many of these sites include YMCA's, um, some hospitals offer the program. They're, they tend to be offered in, in group settings rather than individual settings just because the, it's more practical to address education in a group setting rather than having, you know, each participant have their own personal health code. So I would recommend starting with the CDC website and looking for diabetes prevention programs that are in the area where, you, where your listeners tend to be. Okay. And, um, and so for you, Dr. Steinway, are you working on anything in particular with diabetes at this time? Well, I'm happy to say that at the 
at the Veterans Administration Hospital in, in Baltimore, we uh, do have a diabetes prevention project that was started uh, several months ago. We're actively trying to engage our veterans in diabetes prevention. And one of the things that I'm personally interested in is trying to understand some of the things that I mentioned earlier that have to do with eating behavior. What is it that drives hunger, for example, or why are some individuals more able to be more restrained with their eating? And uh, we're really hoping to gather some data that is looking at whether or not folks who are successful with weight loss change their their food liking, their food preferences versus those who who are less successful. And then once um, we, if we, if that data shows uh, to be, as I hypothesize, that people who are successful do change what they like, then we can try to understand what some of the biological mechanisms are behind that and help to identify new ways to help people achieve healthy lifestyles. Oh, wonderful. I can't wait for the results of those. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Stanley, for being on the show. I know that my listeners and I have learned so much from this information. It's really such a pleasure having you on. It's my my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be able to be a resource to you and to your listeners. Thank you so much. Take care, Dr. Steinle. Okay. All right. So that was uh, Dr. Nanette Steinle with great information on diabetes. Some of this information I'm just learning also for the first time. So this is wonderful. And we now know that there are things that you can do to definitely help uh, not only control but delay the onset and even prevent uh, diabetes in patients with type 2 diabetes, even if you're genetically at risk of developing type 2 diabetes. So really you have no excuse. You, you have the power to change the outcome of this. So I want to thank Dr. Steinle once again for that uh, helpful information. Next, I'm going to talk briefly with um, our uh, recurring <laughs> guest co-host, uh, Dr. Tara uh, Jenkins. Dr. Jenkins, what do you have for us today? Well, good evening, Dr. Diane, and good evening to your millions of listeners. <laughs> I <there>. love it. <laughs> <laughs> In waiting land. Uh-huh. I am bringing you quite briefly today information about washing your hands and keeping your food clean, keeping what you put in your mouth clean. And this is actually very timely information because I know in the news recently they were talking about how healthy vegetables were, but the fact is we get a lot of badness from them, right? Yes, we certainly do. And this article has um, a lot to do with uh, data from the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and they were saying that leafy green vegetables are responsible for more food-borne illnesses than any other food. So, you know, when you're washing your parsley, it's not just simply running some water over it. It's really dipping the parsley in the water and sometimes letting it rest in the water, and you'll see a lot of um, dirt actually will fall to the bottom. In any case, they also found that meat and poultry cause more depth and this is very, very important. 
So they found that 46% of illnesses could be traced back to produce, including fruits and nuts, and that 22% were due mainly to the consumption of leafy green vegetables, such as kale or spinach. So as I said, meat and particularly poultry are responsible for deaths, most deaths, and 43% of these uh, were estimated to come from land animals. And the um, most important um, pathogen they found was listeria and salmonella. So two years ago, the CDC um, published some estimates on the number of foodborne illnesses acquired in the United States. And they found that one in six people in the United States each year will get sick from food poisoning. So the next logical question, of course, was to ask what categories of foods are causing these illnesses. And this was really the first time that the CDC was coming, you know, to grips with this. They found that the norovirus, that's N-O-R-O virus, was the main contaminant driving the illnesses. And actually, people carry this virus on their hands, especially when they don't wash their hands after using the toilet or vomiting or handling food. All right. So, so tell me what's the main thing that, that we should take away from all this information tonight. Please, please wash your hands before and after eating food, especially in the preparation. Wash all your boards and your knives and things like that. Thank you so very much, Dr. Sarah Jenkins. And as, as many of uh, the listeners know, Dr. Jenkins is a certified cancer coach. Um, and I will have her information available for people if they want to get in touch with her. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Dr. Dr. Dinkins. Thank you. All Thank right. You. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. So there you have it. I have lots of information about diabetes, the knowledge now that you can actually prevent it and may be on that. So you are in control. You can uh, control the outcome. And, and that's the main thing you should take away tonight by looking at your diet and how much you exercise. And uh, if you don't smoke, don't start. Uh, if you do, there are plenty of resources to help you stop. I, I do want to give one uh, tip for tonight with diabetes, actually two. And one is to prepare emergency snacks. So often patients will go out, they'll have low blood sugar, they have nothing on hand. Just get a plastic Bag, put some glucose tablets or some gels, a few pieces of hard candy. So if you start to feel signs and symptoms of low blood sugar, you have something handy. And another thing is to inspect your body regularly. People with uh, diabetes are at risk for getting infection, and you want to look. Look at the bottom of your foot with a mirror. Look between your toes, under skin folds, all of that wonderful stuff. So again, I want to thank uh, Dr. Steinle, and I want to thank Dr. Sarah Jenkins. And thank you, the listeners, for continuing to listen in. Uh, As always, it is my hope that you've learned at least one new thing on your journey towards a healthier lifestyle. Uh, Please join us next week for another episode of Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. And again, have a wonderful evening. You've been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. Please join us every other Sunday on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Diane Thompson at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to listen to past shows, or would like our free ebook on stress, 
please visit www.drdianethompson.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash drdianeathompson. Remember, your health is your wealth. So do something healthy today.